I uh, don't think I'm forgetting anything this week, but one never knows. So uh, if I do forget anything, remind me, because you know what they say, mine's the first thing to go. So uh, one thing that I do want to do this, this morning is to welcome a couple of new members, uh, and Eric and Susan Riggins, if you would come up and join me up here. Eric and Susan have been coming now, I think, over a year. I'm not sure exactly when they started, but um, they had their membership interview with us last week, uh, and this week we want to welcome them. So if you'd come up toward the podium where we can all hear you and see your shining faces. (laughs) All right. Um, We have some things that we like um, like to ask everybody who are who are joining the church, Uh, and first one is this, this is the most important thing, do you confess faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you desire, above all else, to live for Him? If so, signify by saying, I do. You declare your intention to live in submission to the doctrine of the church as expressed in the confession of faith. If so, signify by saying, I do. Do you promise to support this congregation with your prayers, with your faithful attendance at its services, by your encouragement of our members, the willing use of your talents in its ministry, and the giving of your means as God prospers you? If so, signify by saying, I do. Then it is my privilege, first of all, to welcome you uh, to Chillicothe Bible Church, but also to give you a charge from God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul wrote to Timothy, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Eric and Susan and Eric, uh, this whole family that has become uh, part today of our church family, uh, have entered into a commitment and a covenant uh, to be part of the public witness of this church and to be entrusted with the right to make decisions on its behalf and to be held accountable by the wider community for their conduct uh, that we might all, as members of Chillicothe Bible Church, uh, live in submission to not only what the Bible teaches, um, but walk in a way worthy of our calling uh, to the gospel and to membership in the in the body of Christ as a whole. And Father, we pray uh, your blessing on the Riggins family. We pray that, that you would pour forth your Holy Spirit on them in a mighty way, such that they are empowered for service and uh, empowered for holiness, and uh, that you would multiply their ministry among us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, guys. Thanks for coming. And guys, if you would stand back there in the back with me when the service is over so everybody can officially greet you, that would be a great thing. Uh, This morning, we're going to be looking again at uh, the book of Genesis and continuing our story about Joseph and his brothers. And the really interesting thing about 
uh, this section of the story is how God used Joseph. Uh, Joseph, as we all know, came to Egypt under less than ideal circumstances, yet God used those circumstances to protect his whole family. Because this little family, this, you know, this, these descendants of Abraham are literally the most important group of people on the planet at the time that they are alive. You may not have ever thought of it quite that way, but these are the people through whom the word of God is coming. Without this group of people, without this family, and as I've said before, you know, as you read this story, you can often think, find yourself thinking, God is using these people? Out of all the people on the planet, these are the people of God? This is what they look like? Yes. Gives me a great amount of encouragement. <laughs> because if God is using these people, he might also be willing to use me, right? Imagine if all of your flaws and sins were recorded in the scriptures as theirs are. Um, I'm glad that mine are not. Uh, but you are too. But this is the most important group of people on the planet. It's through these people that the word of God is coming into the world. It is through these people that the Messiah will come. Remember? As you read down through uh, the promises that are given to Abraham, that through your seed, one will bless all nations. Well, who's that? Who's the seed of Abraham? Jesus. Without this family... Without the continuation of this group of people, there is no Messiah. There is no word of God for us to read and study and apply. These people are the most important people on the planet at that time. And God is using Joseph to protect them because what is happening in, as they live in the land of Canaan, around and amongst all of the Canaanites, these brothers are slowly being assimilated into the surrounding Canaanite culture. And they're beginning to intermarry with Canaanite women. They're beginning to live like Canaanites and to take on Canaanite practices. And if these guys all become intermarried and assimilated into Canaanite culture, guess what happens? The family, within a few generations, disappears as a distinct people of God. And so God is going to use Joseph, who was sold into slavery, to take them out of the land of Canaan and put them in a place where they'll be protected and isolated from the, from the surrounding Egyptians, even though Egypt is the most pagan place on the planet. They're going to be protected and isolated and kept separate from all that influence so that the family of God and the people of God can continue as a distinct people. They need to be a distinct people. Salvation for you and I depends on them remaining a distinct people. And so God is going to use these circumstances by which Joseph comes into Egypt to save his entire family and to save you and me thousands of years later. And it's amazing to me because as you really look at this, what you see is that God uses horrible sin within this family to bring about the greatest blessing 
for the entire planet that there could ever be. And it's an amazing story. Um, God is using Joseph to save and purify these brothers of his. And he has some brothers who are needing redeemed. And uh, these men are carrying the burden of guilt for what they've done to Joseph for decades after the event. And they are going to move into an even more pagan place than where they are living, but they're going to be kept separate from all that. And it's going to be just neat to see over the next few weeks how God does that, how God works these circumstances. Uh, and if you want to know what this sermon is about today, it's, it's about three words. Purification precedes blessing. Purification precedes blessing. It precedes blessing in their case and in yours and mine too. Because you cannot receive God's blessing while you are continuing to harbor your sin. And so God is going to use Joseph to bring about purification of these brothers so that he can bless them. And he can pour out his blessing on them. Uh, You can't receive God's blessing while you continue doing that which he despises. And so purification precedes blessing. Let's look at what God's word has to say to us here. Uh, Chapter 43 of the book of Genesis. We're going to look at first at verse 1 to 15. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Well, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. And I will be the pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and present carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Now, this chapter has some surprising things in it. One of the most surprising is that Judah, of all people, has become a respected leader in the family. 
and that he and his father listens to Judah instead of to Reuben. Last week he saw that Reuben, you know, he was kind of the older brother, the one who said, "I y'all should have listened to me." You know, he you didn't listen to me, and now we're in a mess. Um, he's kind of whiny, but Judah speaks to his father and is listened to. Now, Judah is the guy who, after all, it was his idea to sell Joseph into slavery in the first place. And you may remember also that he was the one who married a Canaanite girl who bore him three sons, two of which grew up to marry another Canaanite woman named Tamar. But these two boys were so wicked that God killed them. He's also the guy whose third son, Shelah, he refused to give in marriage to Tamar. So Tamar dressed as a prostitute and seduced Judah and bore two sons through her father-in-law. This is the guy who is now speaking on behalf of his brothers. And you wonder about how he became their family representative. Is it because they couldn't find any, anybody any more reprobate than him? I don't think that's it. I think what's happened is that what's left out somehow of the story is, and a story I would very much like to know, is the process of where Judah has come around. Because when all these things were happening, he was living off a long way away from his family. Now he's come back. He's moved home. He's near his family. He's become a trusted leader in it. Uh... Jacob, of course, uh, here referred to as Israel, does not know that Judah was the son who initiated the sale of Joseph because they've not told Dad all the details. But Judah's words here succeed where Reuben failed. And what we're seeing here in this chapter is another, another little bit of comparison between Joseph and Judah. And Joseph is very clearly the family leader, although they don't all know that yet. But Judah is a leader too, and he offers to bear the blame for anything that happens to Benjamin. He says, look, I will take responsibility. By the way, those of you who are men, one of the distinguishing marks of a real man is that a real man takes responsibility. He accepts responsibility. He doesn't look for a way to shift the blame onto somebody else and to say, well, if you had just understand the circumstances and if you hold my actions in a certain light, well, then I am exonerated. He says, no, I will take responsibility. Happened on my watch. I'm responsible. I will bear the blame for anything that goes wrong. And a big part of that test that's coming is going to fall on Judah, as it should, because he was the one who recommended selling Joseph into slavery. The test that's coming is going to fall on him. And Jacob sends his sons with delicacies from the land, pistachios and almonds and myrrh and honey and balm and all these things, uh, and twice the amount of money. And notice it's been a long time since the first trip. Now, take from that what you will, but just think about that. 
Wouldn't you be eager to get your son back? And yet they leave him until all the food is almost gone. They leave him in prison. Judah says, we could have gone and come back twice in the amount of time it's been, Pop. And Jacob is wallowing in self-pity. How could you have treated me so badly as to tell that you had another brother? Everything is happening to me. This is awful. I mean, he's kind of... He's kind of a whiner, too. You wonder where Reuben got it. He got it from Dad. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I'm not sure what it's like to be Simeon in the midst of all this, thinking, I guess my brothers forgot me. <laughs> uh, I thought they loved me. But he has not been top of mind, or else they've con- Jacob has concluded that the risk of losing Benjamin is not worth the risk of gaining Simeon's life until they're all out of choices. But eventually, because they run out of food, the famine is going to last, remember, seven years, and they decide they're going to return to Egypt with Benjamin and stand before Joseph. And there's one little detail to notice one more thing that I want you to see. If you'll remember, about 20-odd years previous, they sold Joseph, son of Jacob and Rachel, to a caravan of traders carrying spices and delicacies down to Egypt. And now these brothers are taking the other son of Jacob and Rachel with their silver and with their delicacies. They're just like these Ishmaelite traders from years before, taking another brother down to Egypt. And the parallels that are there are meant to make these brothers think. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever done something and then lied about it. Shoot your hand up if you've done that. No, don't really. (laughs) Okay. But... Uh, if you've ever done something like that where you have done something you knew you shouldn't and then lied about it, boy, the guilt can carry you can carry for that lasts a long time. And if it's a really serious thing, oh, baby. You know, King David writes in the Psalms, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, your hand was heavy on me. All night long, and my bones wasted away. And these brothers have been carrying this burden of all this guilt for all this, all these years, what they've done. So everything that happens is like another reminder stabbing their conscience. Remember what you did to your brother. And so Benjamin is going down with them and their silver and their stuff, and they're going to stand before Joseph, and God is working in their lives. He's reminding them of their sins so they can be healed from it. Let's read on here. (coughs) Excuse me. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and 
they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. And he replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them, and when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. Now, there are thousands of people coming to Egypt from all over to buy food because of the famine. And the brothers' last personal meeting with Joseph didn't end well, if you remember. He accused them of being spies. They spent a few days in prison. They have, he kept Simeon there in prison and allowed all of them to go home. So they definitely don't like being picked out and identified because this is their worst fear realized. They're hoping just to kind of sneak in, get some groceries, and sneak out with Joseph in, I mean, with uh, Benjamin uh, with them. They're really afraid of what might happen. But Joseph sees them and he says, hey, says to his chief servant, go get those guys and bring them to my house for lunch. But you'll notice the steward does not tell the brothers for what purpose they are to come. Look at the text. He never tells them why they're there until they show up and start explaining what has happened? Oh, no. Oh, boy. We're in trouble now. Last time we bought, we bought food, our silver somehow showed back up in our sacks, and I'm sure he thinks we're all spies now. We're all going to die. We're all going to be made slaves. We're all going <laughs> to be in a problem. And, we, and on top of that, they think we're going to be made slaves, and on top of that, they think we deserve it. Because remember, last week as we were looking at the Scriptures, Everything that happens to them, they think, well, it's because we sold Joseph as a slave down to Egypt that all this is happening to us. And so if we become slaves, it'll be because God's justice has finally brought retribution on us. They don't like being picked out, and they're afraid. And so they start explaining. It's like, what other reason could there be to call us out other than to arrest us? And they're hoping they'll be believed and receive mercy. But the steward's answer is kind of cryptic. He says, don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I receive your money. Now, he doesn't tell them where the money came from. But he gives credit to God. And I think the steward understands more than he's telling and understands that the treasure that God put in their sacks is more than simply the silver that they paid for their grain. Understand what I'm saying? That God is working 
through something simple like grain and silver to put treasure in their sack. Treasure of a restored relationship with their brother, the treasure of, a, of the blessing of God, that God is using these circumstances to give them something very significant that money can't buy. And he says, look, I received your money. He doesn't tell them, I also gave it back to you. God is using that, that simple things like silver and grain to cause them to trust in him and to purify their hearts. And then they're told the reason for their summons, which isn't punitive but hospitable. Simeon is released, and the men are treated to the finest hospitality. They're, they're, given, they're given water, their animals are taken care of, their feet are washed. And then they, they're like, oh, the present, present. Well, Joseph is you know, coming. They don't know it's Joseph, the, the ruler of the land, Raphanath Paniah, is coming. And so they get their present ready because Joseph is coming, and he's going to eat a meal with them. Let's read about what happens. When Joseph came, when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves, and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Now, when Joseph arrives, something very significant happens. All of his brothers bow down to him with their faces to the ground. Now, I seem to remember, as we read through this story way back several weeks ago, there was a dream that Joseph had about sheaves of grain. You remember it? He and his brothers are all out binding sheaves of grain in the field. And he says, and my sheaf stood up, and all of your sheaves bowed down. And what happened? They hated him, and they looked for an opportunity to get rid of him. That dream has just been fulfilled. And there's another yet to be fulfilled that involves his father Jacob, which is why he's asking about Jacob. What about, what about your father? Is he still alive? Is he still well? Because he has seen before his very eyes God's promise to him in this dream be fulfilled with his brothers. Is this the youngest brother? Is your father still alive? Uh, these brothers have proved they're not spies and that their story is true. And on top of that, they have proved that they're not just going to abandon 
another one of their brothers to his face, which is good. Shows that their heart has changed a little bit. And then he sees Benjamin. Benjamin is his only full brother. Everybody else is a half-brother through one or another of Jacob's other wives. But Jacob had two sons with Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And Benjamin is his full brother, his little, his little brother, same mama. And he is now a grown man. And when Joseph left the land of Canaan, he would have been a young boy. And now this is the first time he's seen him in 20-some years. And Benjamin is all grown up. And he blesses his brother, and then his emotions get the best of him, and he begins to cry. And so he has to run out of the room, find a spot to cry. It's not the time to reveal himself yet, but he can't hold it in. And then he composes himself, he washes his face to, you know, as people do when they've been crying. They don't want anybody to know they've been crying, so they wash their face. And he kindly gets himself together, and the food is served, and it's served in a way that's meant to be a test. He has to see if their heart has changed or to what extent. And so he seats them all by birth order. Reuben at the head of the table and Benjamin at the end and all the brothers in line according to what order they were born in. And it's a great meal. Everything that comes off of Joseph's table, which was the very best of the food of the land of Egypt, is served to them as well. But he's served different from him and also distinct from the other Egyptians who were there because Egyptians regard Hebrews as... Someone they don't eat with makes them unclean. These, these shepherd boys, we're going to put them off to the side, but we'll serve them food from the ruler's table. But there's, it's puzzling because the, the guys all know who's number one son, number two, number three, etc. In fact, I have a Chinese brother-in-law, and it's actually kind of funny um over in over in china uh this the hierarchy and ranking is very important and so he is referred to within his family as not his name but number 3 and his older brother is number 1 and his second oldest brother is number 2 and and everybody's referred to by their position and rank. And that's a very much an Asian, uh, Eastern culture kind of thing. So I don't know if that's what's happening with the brothers, but they are a little concerned. How does, how did, this is not a coincidence that we're all seated in order, but how does he know? And then Benjamin is seated last at the very end of the table, but he gets five times as much food as everybody else. You know, everybody else gets their steak, and it's a nice big portion and all that. But then he gets like a, a half a side of beef <laughs> delivered down at his end. And they're like, this is really weird. What's the point? Well, Joseph is trying to see 
all these brothers were all so jealous of anybody being treated any better than they thought they deserved. And he's got to see if his brother's hearts have changed toward their youngest brother. And he can't quite tell, but one way he's going to figure out is let's give him five times as much food as you give everybody else. See if anybody complains. See what the deal is. And they're wondering, they're left just wondering, why the special blessing on the youngest one? Why the obvious emphasis on birth order? What is going on? And if you're one of these guilty brothers, you have a lot more questions than answers. Maybe you have some questions. We'll have to come back next week for the answers. All right? Um, But in the meantime, let's learn from this text. Because I believe that God means for us to learn from it. Because I want you to let the cat out of the bag a little uh, and tell you that God is going to bring this whole family down to Egypt to live for the next 430 years in fulfillment of a prophecy made to Abraham in chapter 15 of Genesis. You may not remember that, but if you go back and read chapter 15, God makes a promise to Abraham that they're going to go to a another land that his descendants are going to go to a new land and they're going to be servants there for many years and then God is going to bring them out as a great nation and for the next few generations of Joseph and his descendants and his brothers and their descendants there's going to be this phenomenal blessing but after that there's going to come a king who doesn't know Joseph or his family or what they've done for what they've done for Egypt and these, these descendants of theirs are going to be enslaved. But it can't come. This blessing that they're going to have of being in Egypt and being protected can't come to them as long as they remain jealous men who are fighting among themselves, concerned over who has the biggest slice of pie and the nicest coat. It can't come as long as they value their own safety more than they value the safety and lives of one another. It can't come if they would still rather see their youngest brother a captive than that he would be elevated over them. And they have to release their sin before they can receive God's blessing because otherwise there's not any room in their hands for it. Amen? Understand what I'm saying? That when we've got a tight grip on our sin and we want to hold on to it as tight as we can, we don't have room in our hands for God's blessing. And so God is using Joseph and all these little tests along the way to help them release their sin and help them understand and receive God's blessing. You know, the same thing is true of us. A lot of us are content, as C.S. Lewis says, to go on making mud pies in the slums because we have no idea what God means by his offer of a day at the beach. Now, I like making mud pies. I think that's fun, right? I used to do that when I was a kid. You get, get a mud hole going out in the yard, and then you can make stuff, right? But given a choice between that and the beach... It's no comparison, right? A mud pie does not compare to making a sandcastle or a mermaid or something else, you know, out there on the beach and seeing the waves crash in. And, in fact, 
one of my favorite places in all of the world. Down in Florida, New Smyrna Beach, go down there with Karen, walk that hard sand along the water, feel the cold water wash up on our feet, see the sunset, watch the dolphins swim, the barracudas come in just behind the surf. It's great. It's magnificent. You eat seafood. You lay on the beach. You read your Bible out there on, out by the edge of the water and you feel God's presence as the waves crash in. It's magnificent. And I would not trade making mud pies in the yard for a day at the beach. But a lot of us do all the time. Amen? A lot of us would rather have our sin than have God's blessing. And God is using these circumstances with Joseph to separate these brothers from their sin so that he can bless them. So that he can, he can give them the equivalent of a day at the beach. And a lot of us want God's blessing on our lives. A lot of us. We say, oh God, if you would bless me, if you would do this for me, if you would do this, well then I would really receive your blessing, but we're not willing to do that which God commands in order to receive it. You know, I knew a guy uh, one time who was carrying on an immoral relationship with his girlfriend and then wanted to know if it was God's will that he should marry her. And I thought, well, that's an interesting question. Why do you now all of a sudden care about God's will? Because God has already revealed His will in terms of your relationship quite clearly. And if you didn't care enough to obey that, why do you think that God is now going to say, you know, let me make this clear to you. Or I know, knew of another guy who was committing adultery, and when confronted about his sin... He told the pastor who confronted him, well, I'll just confess my sin later because I'm enjoying this blessing right now. Okay, then. Go right ahead and do that. And enjoy God's cursing on your life. Right? But a lot of us are stupid like that. If we're really honest, a lot of us want to engage in sin, and yet somehow have God put his blessing on what we've already decided to do, right? I've already decided to be rebellious, but God, if you could help smooth out any rough edges, that would be awesome. <laughs> but here's the reality. As I said at the beginning, purity precedes blessing. And if you want God's blessing on your life, you can't receive it while you're holding anything else in your hand. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in full recognition that many times we would rather make mud pies in the slums than enjoy the blessings of the beach that you have intended for us. And yet you say in your word, Psalm 24, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his heart 
to what is false or swear deceitfully. Father, we have many times a lot of deceit in our heart. A lot of us have things we would rather have than obedience to you and blessing from you. Father, I pray that today would be the day that we turn loose of those things, that we might receive your blessing, that we might receive the pleasure of God and knowing that you are pleased with us. You love us, Father, at all times. You are gracious to us at all times, and you do not give us most of the time what we do deserve. But, Father, we also know that many times we we don't receive some of your blessings because we have other things we would rather hang on to. Father, I pray that you would use our circumstances as you used these brothers' circumstances to purify us as you use theirs to purify them. And Father, I pray that we might receive your blessing as we repent of our sin and seek your face. We pray in Jesus' name.